0: July 10th, 1998, had so much promise for so many. Velma Aiken anxiously awaited the moment it would all sink in. Throughout that hot Florida morning, she tended to her grandchildren and to others that required her attention. It was mid-afternoon before she could finally break away, and off she raced to University Medical Center in Jacksonville, where there was another grandchild, a girl, a baby girl. Born just eight hours earlier, the newest member of the family was named Kamaya, and Velma couldn't wait to see her first granddaughter. So on that Friday afternoon, Velma walked into the hospital, boarded the elevator, and made her way toward room 328. She was so full of pride, so giddy with anticipation. As she walked into the hospital room, a woman in scrubs carrying her hours-old granddaughter, Kamaya, tried to hurry past her. But Velma, who had tried to get to the hospital as quickly as she could that day, wasn't going to wait any longer to get her first look at her grandbaby. So she pleaded with the woman in scrubs, asking for a quick peek of the baby she'd been waiting all day to see. The woman obliged, peeling back the hospital's pink, blue, and white receiving blanket, revealing the sweet face of baby Kamaya. During that brief encounter with the woman in scrubs, Velma saw something else. The large shoulder bag slung over the woman's arm. That doesn't seem right, she thought, as the woman walked out of the room. What's she doing with a pocketbook? Velma asked the baby's mother, 16-year-old Shannara Mobley, who was resting in bed and still recovering from childbirth just hours earlier. That lady could be stealing your baby. I'm picking up a bad spirit, she said but she let it go, and the woman walked away, down the hall, right out of the hospital. And though Velma didn't realize it at the time, that would be the last time she'd see baby Kamaya. 20 minutes after the woman in scrubs walked out of the room with the baby, Velma and Shanara grew impatient. They called over to the nursery, but the baby wasn't there, they were told. Velma's fears appeared to be true. She watched as Shannara dragged her weakened body out of the bed and out of room 328. She heard the new mother crying, screaming, hollering in the maternity ward's hallway, Where's my baby? Where's my baby? From the Florida Times Union, this is Have You Seen Kamaya? I'm Eileen Kelly, an investigative reporter for the Times Union and Jacksonville.com. I've been telling you the story of Kamaya Mobley, the newborn baby kidnapped from a Jacksonville hospital on July 10, 1998. If you're joining us for the first time, I recommend you go back and listen to our previous episodes in order. We'll see you soon. Episode 2: The Search Shanara's screams in the hospital's hallways were met with nurses and then security guards telling her to watch her language and to calm down. Concerned by the nurses and security then turned from Shanara to her missing baby. Code pink was issued, alerting hospital staff that a baby had been taken. Shannara tried to make it to the elevator, to get outside, to find her baby. But Velma stopped her, implored her, wait, wait for the police. And finally, 30 minutes, maybe an hour some say, after Shannara's screams first rang out, the hospital security team contacted the Jacksonville police. The search for Kamiya was on.
1: Channel 4 News begins right now with a local breaking news alert. Good evening, everyone. Right now.
0: Inside the hospital, police went room by room, then floor by floor. They checked people's bags. Outside the hospital, they looked into parked cars, and they searched vehicles leaving the hospital grounds. They dug into nearby dumpsters. From above, police in a helicopter searched the grounds of the medical complex. And in nearby neighborhoods they went door to door, stopping, asking, pleading for help. Have you seen Kamaya? No words could have provided comfort to Shinara in those first hours after Kamaya was carried off. Few, however, were even trying to comfort her. The nurses called her out for her language, and they called security on her. That was far from what the terrified teen mother expected. And then, the police came to room 328.
2: Tell me what you did with that baby. Tell me where that baby is at.
0: With those words came a cop punching her bed.
2: punched the side of my bed till he moved it. what did he say? Tell us what you did with the baby. Tell us where the baby at. What was your response? I'm looking like this man. I'm, I'm crying. I'm like this. I'm just, I'm scared. I'm hysterical. I'm mad. I'm angry. I just got so many emotions at this time.
0: So did the baby's father. As police began their search, one key person they wanted to talk to wasn't at the hospital that day. The father. 23-year-old Craig Aiken was sitting in a jail cell. That's where he had been for the past six months, doing time on a drug charge. He remembers 10 officers showing up at his cell the afternoon his daughter was born. At least to him, it seemed like it was 10. Then they took him to a room where even more officers were waiting.
3: Mr. Aiken, we got good news and we got bad I say, well, what's the, what's, the, what's the good news? I'm already jail. what's the good news? So they were like, um, your daughter was born, Kamaya Morrow, 8 pounds, 77 seven ounces. And I was happy. And I, I was so happy, I forgot to say, oh, bad news. So I'm like,
2: well, what's the bad news?
0: Kamaya, the little girl he had never seen, the chubby-cheek baby his mother had seen just briefly, had been kidnapped, they told him carried out of a hospital room, right past hospital staff, and right out the hospital's doors. And no one had any idea where she was.
3: When they told me, kid, and I, mean, I stood up for me because uh, I didn't understand what it means. You know? I know we were kidnaping me, but, you know, for them to tell it to me, you know. It's like, how I do have it on TV. You don't have any people like me, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, I just kept asking, like,
2: what you mean? You kidding, right? what you
0: mean. His mind was in a fog. He had questions that police could not answer. And the next person he spoke with couldn't help either. That's when police allowed him to use the phone. He called the hospital and asked to be patched through to room 328. Shannara was crying. What she was saying was hard to make out through the sobs. But he did understand these words. You should have been here. Police and hospital staff continued their search for baby Kamaya, But something else was missing, a photo of the newborn. You see, at this point, in those first few hours of Kamaya's life, not one photo had been taken of the newborn, something that all hospitals were supposed to do for this very reason. And the personal photographs, the keepsakes, the ones that filled baby books, the fronts of refrigerators, walls, desk spaces at work, There were none. This was 1998, four years before the first commercial cell phones with cameras were sold, and nine years before the release of the first iPhone, which put a camera in nearly everyone's pocket. So the focus of the search would be on the abductor, but there were no clear images of the woman in scrubs from the hospital surveillance either, another failure of the hospital. After speaking with Shinara, Velma, and hospital staff, authorities shared a description of the woman wearing scrubs, the woman who disguised herself as a nurse.
1: There is still no sign of this woman who is said to be an African-American, about five feet, five inches tall, 150 to 160 pounds, and may be wearing a wig.
0: Based on that description, a police artist created a composite sketch of the abductor. That's what would be shown on evening newscast and printed in the morning newspaper in the first hours after Kamaya's abduction. The
4: story took the city by storm.
0: That's WJXT news anchor Tom Wells, who's been a fixture on Channel 4 Newscast since 1975.
4: To kidnap an hours-old newborn from a hospital nursery, and her mother is, is a 16-year-old unwed mom having her first child, you talk about something that is beyond the pale, that you, you just simply can't wrap your mind around?
0: With help from the FBI and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, Jacksonville police continued their search for the missing baby. The composite sketch of the abductor circulated around town and across the country. Fresh leads led to police stopping and searching three Greyhound buses in South Carolina and one in nearby St. Augustine, Florida. By day three, leads were coming in from as far away as New York, but still no Kamaya. The minutes ticked away like they were hours. The hours felt like days. They always say time is of the essence, but it really is of the essence when you're talking about newborn and infant abductions.
1: We know in the back of our minds, and and you, the hospital, needs to know, and the cops all need to know, we probably got a month to find this baby, at most. Now, if we do it the right way, it'll be done between two days and a little less than a week.
0: That's John Raven, a seventy two year old ex cop and social worker who co founded the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in Alexandria, Virginia. That's where he was in nineteen ninety eight when Kamaya was kidnapped. John's had lots of cases. Since he and others co founded the center thirty four years ago, there have been over three hundred infant abductions. You don't forget the cases. You don't forget Kamaya. He recalls the urgency with which officials tried to get the message out that newborns are susceptible to all sorts of illnesses and how police, doctors, the mother, everyone was concerned. Babies are very small and cannot handle change in temperatures, one doctor warned. And the baby's life could be in danger if the person who took her might not have the confidence that she was taking care of the child properly. But it was more complicated than that with Kamaya, The baby's mother, Shannara, she carried a gene for sickle cell anemia, a genetic disorder of the blood that can cause swelling and intense pain. She had also tested positive for a group B strep infection. Was Kamaya sick and in even more danger? Could she have sickle cell and strep? We don't know. Not only had Kamiya been taken before precautionary or personal photographs of her were taken, she was kidnapped before the state required neonatal tests were performed. The state mandated neonatal testing includes testing the infant for several um, inherited and metabolic diseases. That's a spokeswoman for University Medical Center at a news conference days after Kamaya was kidnapped. And as you know, it is not easy to recognize illness in a newborn, um, they cry. Hopefully they'll run fever, but sometimes they don't. And there was something else that put the baby in danger. Kamaya was born with an umbilical hernia, a condition where the intestines protrude through the abdominal muscles of the belly button. For 8-pound Kamaya, that protrusion was about the size of a fist. John, from the Missing Children's Center, asked doctors if this could be dangerous. Yes, they said, explaining that it could rupture. If it wasn't repaired in the baby's first six months, Kamaya could die, the doctors told him. They needed to find Kamaya immediately.
1: Having worked him for as long as I have, it's you you sort of go into combat mode.
0: That's John Rabin. And so doctors and police repeated their pleas to the public. Bring this newborn back. Remember, this was before social media. There was no Facebook, no Twitter. So police relied on the morning newspaper and the evening newscast to help get the word out of the abduction of the newborn from a Jacksonville hospital and to keep the public appraised of the latest details of the case of missing baby Kamaya. Also, remember that law enforcement as well as airport ticket and gate agents and taxicab and bus drivers didn't have much to go on when they were told to keep an eye out for a newborn baby girl. There were no photos. So a police sketch artist would have to rely only on the descriptions of Kamiya by Velma, who had just a fleeting glance of her granddaughter, and Shinara, the distraught mother whose firstborn child was just stolen from her arms. And that first sketch wasn't very good. That's because most police artists are used to drawing the likeness of adults, not newborns. This was new territory for many. A good image that actually resembles the likeness of a newborn was important to finding Kamaya. And it was urgent to get the image out on flyers, in front of television cameras, in the newspaper. It was also important to get Shannara out there. Police hoped that if the public heard from the distraught mother, more tips might start coming in. And maybe, just maybe, the abductor might fear for this child's well-being and do the right thing. Bring her back.
2: Please, please, my, my baby, I know you. If you don't have no kids, if you, I mean... <laughs> If you was faking a pregnancy or, I mean, you just can't have no kids. I mean, how you think I feel? I'm you enough. I'm only 16 years old, but I have been So That's my first child.
0: Five days after Kamiya's abduction, hospital officials put up a $50,000 reward. Every call, every tip was important, police continued to say, and the calls and tips kept coming. In the busy suburbs of Jacksonville, A worker at a car repair shop called police when a woman came in with a small baby in her car. He thought she looked a lot like the sketch police were taking door to door and that news anchors were showing on TV every night. Police tracked down the woman's doctor and confirmed the baby did indeed belong to the woman. On the other side of town, a woman shopping in a grocery store with her three-week-old daughter drew the suspicion of another customer based on a resemblance to the sketch. Police tracked down the shopper's name from a check she cashed at the store, and they went to the 37-year-old woman's house. She later told reporters she didn't mind the false alarm. If it were her baby, she said, she'd want them to check to the ends of the world as well. A week went by, and after more than 200 leads, of which 20 to 30 seemed solid, baby Kamiya was still missing. The story gained national attention when CNN aired Shannara's plea for the kidnapper to return her baby. And the story got a 10-second segment during the 10th anniversary special of John Walsh's America's Most Wanted TV show on Fox. A longer segment would air a week later on the popular true crime show. By day 12, police had received 415 leads, some of which followed the America's Most Wanted segment officers continued to canvas neighborhoods going door to door with sketches of the abductor, but they were no closer to finding Kamaya than they were on that first day. And that was a huge concern for then-Jacksonville Sheriff Nat Glover.
3: Initially, I, I would say I was might have been a little naive because I mean, you had a baby that was stolen from an area that, uh, although uh, you might have Traffic, but it wouldn't be too hard to go back and look at who had access, and just kind of run down the lead. and And uh, so, I, I initially thought that few days we would have this solved, uh, certainly within a week. And and uh, it just didn't happen.
0: That's when police made an unusual plea to the public. If you have seen a black baby girl, any black female baby at all, please wanted to know. John Rabin from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children arrived in Jacksonville near the end of the second week of the search. Time was certainly running against investigators who so desperately wanted to find this baby and to bring her back home. Tell me Mm -hmm. about how crucial it is to find this baby. I mean, in terms of time.
1: We're two weeks in on the case, so it's like, well, we're critical.
0: In Jacksonville, John called on key players. They all needed to talk, to share, to listen. There were representatives from the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, the FBI, doctors and nurses, those acutely familiar with security and the layout of the hospital, people who spoke with the woman in scrubs, People who saw her as she roamed the halls and stood for two straight hours looking through the glass partition at the Mobley baby soon after her birth.
1: You know, in comes uh, the real nurse with her baby and gives her baby and, oh boy, happy day. I mean, she's not paying attention. Hell, I wouldn't be either, knowing what I know, to who is this new woman that walks in the unit and basically, you know, represents herself as being a nurse because that's what they do. And, yeah. You know, hmm. Away we go. I mean, this one, you know, it takes a lot of brain energy on the part of these perps to pull off what they do. But it shows you how committed and how compulsive they are about this particular event.
0: The days ticked on. Where was Kamaya? She could be anywhere now.
4: Who would do this? Who would do this to Shanara Mobley? And why? Why would you do something like that? Was it an enemy of the hospital who did this? Was it some kind of grudge toward the people who were associated, you know, with the baby, the mother, the, the father, the grandparents? I mean was it was something like that? Or was it somebody who wanted a baby? And yet, how could you do that?
0: That's veteran WJXT news anchor Tom Wills again. The FBI built a profile of a likely abductor, a profile based on what the agency knew from the 176 past abductions of babies from hospitals in the United States. This profile would narrow the focus and give authorities and the public something, anything to go on. The profile said the kidnapper was a woman of childbearing age, anywhere from 12 to 50 years old, who lives or works near the hospital. The kidnapper had a high school diploma, the profile suggested, and the woman may have miscarried or lost a child. This woman might also be trying to save a marriage or relationship by faking a pregnancy and passing off this baby as her own.
1: Stereotypically, these babies are minority babies, not all, but stereotypically, and they're taken from what in my own mind the term I use is the county general hospital.
0: That's John again. That's exactly what happened here. Three weeks went by, and still no sign of Kamiya. The search stretched to nearby military bases in Florida and Georgia, and even sailors out at sea were warned to be cautious of pregnancies that were announced while they were away. New composite sketches of the baby and abductor were created, printed on flyers, tacked on telephone poles, taped to store windows, and plastered on Jacksonville City buses. Also on those flyers, a notice that the reward money for the safe return or for information leading to the return of baby Kamiya had increased to $250,000. Could that do it? Could that unearth someone that must have been in on the secret? Time would tell. The reward money, the news coverage, the police legwork... All resulted in more tips, but it did not lead to Kamaya. The search went national, with leads of possible sightings coming in from coast to coast.
1: They had agents shagging leads all over the country. I mean, it was incredible.
0: But it soon became apparent that no matter how wide the net was cast in the search for Kamiya, police were still looking very close to home. Shinara Mobley, and the Aiken family had not been ruled out as suspects.
2: From day one, we were suspects.
0: That's Shannara.
2: They were so concentrated on my family, Craig's family. They were so concentrated. Who comes in the hospital and punches the side of a 16-year-old girl's bed and say, tell me what you did for that baby? Tell me where that baby is at?
0: Three months after the baby's kidnapping, police clearly felt they weren't getting anywhere in their talks with the families, so they made a move. Craig Aiken, you see, had been 22 when he had sex with Shanara, who was just 15. In Florida, that's a crime. So police took action and arrested him. From jail, Craig told reporters at the time that police were pressuring him within the first few months of Kamiya's abduction about Shanara's role in the kidnapping. But Craig said he didn't buy it. It wasn't Shannara. It wasn't anyone in her family, he maintained. Shannara wanted this baby. He wanted this baby. Back off. The police were looking in the wrong direction, Craig and others insisted.
2: Do you know what it feels like to have the whole world turn, turn their back on you for a crime that someone else committed?
0: That's Craig. Nat Glover, the sheriff at the time, the top law enforcement officer, ultimately responsible for the good and the bad of the case, explained.
3: A missing baby. You, you have to cover that base. I would say we, we think about how we go about that with as little intrusion and accusation, you know, but that base had to be covered. And it had to be covered to a conclusion that we all felt like we needed to be looking in another direction.
0: For Shannara, the teen who had only seen her daughter for mere hours on the day of her birth, this added scrutiny? Will it added a tremendous weight to the grief that she could not shake?
2: I had a, I eye character. I came home cut. Scratch maws, bleating breasts hanging down in my stomach, and nothing to show for it. I got to come home and look at a bassinet and pampers and clothes.
0: She self medicated. She tried to kill herself. Shannara's family turned to an attorney. They knew much of the blame fell to University Medical Center, and therefore it must pay for this heartache. They sued, citing the lax oversight of security at the county hospital. How was it that a woman in scrubs was able to roam the hospital corridors for 14 hours without drawing suspicion? And how was it she spent five hours in room 328, an overflow room, out of the line of sight of hospital security with the new mom and baby? Shannar was only 16 at the time, and she was never given any guidance from officials about who to trust, her family said. And then there were the doors to the stairwells. They weren't properly locked. As for the surveillance cameras, well, they didn't work properly, at least not well enough to get clear footage of the woman in scrubs placing newborn Kamiya into her purse and walking out of the hospital. If those issues had been addressed earlier, Would Kamaya be with her mother today? Would the woman in Scrubs have scrapped her plan? Would she have been caught while still on the hospital's grounds? Is that why she did it? Lurked in the halls? Gained the trust of a teen mom? And walked out with a baby in her purse? It's not as if the hospital hadn't been warned. It's not as if all hospitals hadn't seen what could happen when the security of patients wasn't a high priority. And it's not as if baby abductions were a new phenomenon. There had been 13 infants abducted nationwide in the two years leading up to Kamaya's abduction. But it was worse than that. University Medical Center knew better because they were directly told to do better in 1992, six years prior to Kamaya's kidnapping. And then again, just four months before the kidnapping, the hospital was told to step up its security.
1: I'm more upset, I guess you'd say, when it's a hospital we've done extensive education with, you know, over the years.
0: That was John again. A 1992 review of University Medical Center's security system urged the hospital to reduce its risk by placing electronic bracelets on all newborns and by monitoring the maternity ward visitors. The idea with the bracelets was simple. Think of those chunky plastic security tags that department stores place on expensive or highly sought after designer label attire. It's the same thing, but in this case, it's not pricey shoes or a designer purse that it's protecting, it's a baby. If the baby is fitted with an electronic bracelet and the baby is moved from the maternity ward while still wearing the bracelet, an alarm goes off, just like in the department store. But that measure was never adopted. Nor was the suggestion that there be additional monitoring of the ward, even when the hospital had the perfect opportunity to do so when it opened its new maternity wing in 1994, four years before Kamiya was seamlessly whisked from the hospital in plain view. The list of security measures goes on. The study, a study that was sought by the hospital, called for installing high tech surveillance cameras in the hallways and stairwell exits. That, too, did not happen. In 1994, the same year the new maternity wing opened, a 41-year-old woman visiting her father at the hospital reported that a man raped her in the elevator, stopped between floors. And in 1996, two years before Kamiya was kidnapped, another baby vanished from University Medical Center when Lynette McPherson left the hospital with her own two-day-old daughter, a daughter she did not have custody of at the time because of her treatment of other children. That little girl was still missing the day Kamiya was kidnapped. Early on, after Kamiya was abducted, this much became crystal clear. It's tough to steal a $20 book from a library, but somehow someone could walk out of the hospital with a baby. At least that's how the Mobile attorney, Wayne Alford, described it at the time. By July 10, 1999, Kamiya's first birthday, and the anniversary of her abduction, law enforcement officials had tracked down 2,000 leads and had handed out tens of thousands of flyers. There was still the $250,000 bounty to find the kidnapper, and the case was featured on CNN and America's Most Wanted. Police had knocked on doors, questioned numerous black women with nice smiles who were 5 feet 5 inches tall, and weighed about 150 pounds. They had tips from as far away as Nova Scotia to the east and Washington State to the west. They had compared footprints of more than 15 babies to those officials had of baby Kamaya. Those footprints were the only tangible thing Shannara Mobley had of her daughter. Nat Glover.
3: You're talking about a, a, a newborn baby, and um, my thought was, well, this would be one that we um, should be able to solve. I mean, uh, someone taking a newborn baby, um, certainly, you know, look at who would have access, and we thought, thought, well, maybe we can narrow that down pretty quickly, but it didn't happen that way. It it just went on and on and on, and and to be honest with you, I don't remember getting any real significant uh, leads that would give the level of optimism and, and something to be hopeful about. I mean, it was like we were just following lead after lead.
0: Remember how I told you that in the two years leading up to Kamaya's kidnapping, how there had been 13 abductions of newborns in the nation? Well, by the one year anniversary, Kamaya's first birthday, the Kamaya Mobley case, case number 849827, was the only one that had not been solved. Shinar was the only one of those moms still waiting for news of what happened to her baby.
3: Well, from a law enforcement perspective, it's a big case. I
0: mean, you got you to gotta
3: solve this one. And uh, we didn't. And I thought even after the attention had somewhat waned, I thought someone would come with a lead and we would find the baby. But uh, that didn't happen.
0: Every day was excruciating for Shanara every day. Instead of finding solace in sleep, she had nightmares and would wake up crying. Years later, she would say, I see that lady that stole my baby in my dreams. And so on the date of her abducted daughter's first birthday, Shannara got a birthday cake. She cut a piece for herself, and then she cut another. She took that second piece and wrapped it up and tucked it in the freezer just in case her daughter returned home. She asked God to send her a sign that her baby was alive. She hoped one day someone would place that baby back in her arms. But a few months later, Shannara threw the cake away. Her baby still had not come home. This is something Shannara would repeat again on Kamaya's second birthday, and third, and fourth, and again, and again. It's something she would repeat for years. I'm investigative reporter Eileen Kelly, and you've been listening to a podcast produced by the Florida Times Union. Visit Jacksonville.com forward slash Kamaya. For more information about the case of the missing baby, that's Jacksonville.com forward slash Kamaya. K A M I Y A H. There you'll find photos, videos, and original case documents. You'll also find the next episodes of this podcast as they become available. Or you can find episodes on Apple Podcast or anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Research for this story came in part from official records from the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, the State Attorney's Office of the Fourth Judicial Circuit of Florida, Court Records, Times Union Archives, First Coast News, and WJXT News for Jax. This podcast is edited by Times Union editor Mary Kelly Polka. It is produced by Digital Director Gary Mills. Have You Seen Kamaya? is made possible with support from advertisers and subscribers to the Florida Times Union and Jacksonville.com. Learn more about how you can support our journalism at Jacksonville.com forward slash subscribe now. Thank you for joining us.